Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 195 of the Falcoholic Live. I am your host, Kevin Knight, joined by my illustrious guest this evening. He is Aaron Freeman at Falcfans, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast. Aaron, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Kevin. Glad to be talking with you, talking about, you know, the defense a little bit and, uh, you know, as much as I am negative on the Falcons, I am at least like slightly positive about the, the direction that the defense is going in. So maybe I'll actually say like four good things about the Falcons on tonight's episode. <laughs> maybe four. Well, if we can get to five, it would be a miracle. But uh, yeah, there <laughs> there's nice things to say about these position groups in that there have been improvements made at least at two of the three. Uh, <laughs> so we'll have some nice things to talk about with that. Will they be the elite groups or anything like that? Probably not. But considering, especially with Edge, where this group was last year, uh, pretty much any addition, especially in terms of young talent, is going to move the needle in a positive direction for this group. So uh, we'll definitely be happy about that. I think we're, we're fans of the moves they've made at linebacker as well. They brought in a lot of interesting players there. Probably some moves yet to be made at linebacker too. And then a defensive tackle, well, they brought back Grady Jarrett. So, you know, we can we can at least be happy there. But otherwise, at defensive tackle, a little sketchy. You know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm interested to hear Aaron's thoughts on, on the guys they brought in and sort of the state of that group too. But, uh, yeah, guys, we're going to be breaking all those position groups down tonight. Obviously, no news. Uh, it is the heart of the dead zone. So, you know we're gonna we're gonna give you guys some content here, talk about that. But yeah, nothing nothing super notable going on in the world of the Falcons. I guess in the world of the Hawks, there was a big trade that just went down. I don't know enough about that. You know, Adnan's on vacation, so normally we'd have Adnan here to deliver some Hawks takes, but uh, Adnan's on vacation, so we we can't give you that those takes. I'm sure uh, there's some excellent podcasts for that. I'm sure uh, Aaron would probably plug the Locked On Hawks podcast. That's the one I know about, so yeah. I will plug them too. That's free plug there. Uh, those are limited, of course, but um, yeah. Which which group do you want to start with, Aaron? I'll, I'll let you let you pick. You want to go front to back, back to front? Where, where are you? What are you feeling? Let's talk about the edge rushers. Let's start on a, on a positive with the edge. Yeah, let's start on a high note. Start on a high note. Yeah. So, edge uh, is a group that I I like a lot better this year um, because I like the players they have a lot more, and I think we've talked about this before. You know, switching out Lorenzo Carter for Dante Fowler it's probably more of a lateral move than people think, but the gain is that Lorenzo Carter is costing the team like $2 million, whereas Dante Fowler was costing the team like $16 million. And I think Carter has more upside. Um, but that's the, the name that everyone usually starts with is Carter because he was sort of the first move that they made. So what do you think about Carter? Do you think he's sort of their top edge rusher this year, their their main starter? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think you nailed it with calling him a, a lateral move. I feel like that's kind of what you're, you know, what we've gotten from a production standpoint from Dante Fowler and and yeah, even Vic Beasley these last couple of years, you know, get you five, six sacks, maybe 30, 40 pressures. That's kind of what Carter has been throughout his career. He's, you know, he got a high motor guy, you know, has a little bit of a bull rush there from what I've seen. Uh, a lot of his success in New York came with effort plays, with stunts and twists. We didn't see a lot of that in the Dean Pease defense last year, but maybe we'll see a lot more of that this year. So, you know, even though I don't expect Carter to be this sort of superstar or whatever the case may be, I think he can be a productive player and provide some of the value that the team uh, wants at that edge rusher position, being able to set the run against the edge, being able to provide some juice as a pass rusher, and also, you know, having the ability to drop in the coverage. He's been one of the highest graded uh, coverage edge rushers, if, if that uh, is not a crazy term for people <laughs> listening. Um, but yeah, he's been one of the highest graded coverage guys at edge rusher these last couple of years. So I think he fits perfectly in the scheme, even if he doesn't necessarily stand out as some sort of individual talent, he's a solid sort of role player that I think can give the Falcons production. Yeah, I agree. I, it's interesting that he probably is the best coverage edge rusher in the NFL. And that does sound like an oxymoron, right? Because it's like, well, why why is your edge rusher dropping into coverage? But in DNP's defense, it actually happens a fair amount. I think you referenced uh, on one of your shows that in Tennessee, the last few years that he was there, he dropped, um, I'm drawing a blank on their edge, Harold Landry, I think it was. They actually dropped Landry a lot into coverage as well. Um, and by a lot, you know, it's not like a, a massive number of snaps, but it is a significant number. And when the Falcons were doing this with Steven Means, of course, the results were disastrous. When Lorenzo Carter does it, he's actually an asset there. I think he actually can provide some value. I mean, he has a lot of pass deflections. Um, this is a guy that if you're going to drop an edge rusher into coverage, which I think most Falcons fans are probably like, I don't like that. But <laughs> Carter is going to actually provide something. Yeah, exactly. He's going to actually provide something in coverage that uh, is not just like a complete waste of your time and just a complete faint for the for the offense. Um, and I think that will be valuable. Um, he's also just a tremendous athlete. I mean, he was a perfect 10 RAS guy. Uh, and he did get really hot towards the end of last season for the Giants, you know, with five sacks in the last five games. Um, so there is hope, I guess, that, that he could, that he's finally sort of, it's clicked for him and all that. Um, and I think it's fair to hope that I wouldn't put all your chips in the basket. Like, oh, this is a double digit sack guy. You know, I think we can maybe hope for uh, maybe five to 10, somewhere in that range of sacks, I think is a realistic outcome for Carter. Um, but don't, don't expect him to come in here and light the world on fire and be this double digit sack guy. If that happens, that would be great. But I think he's going to be more of your Jack of all trades edge rusher where he's going to provide value against the run. He's going to actually provide you some value as a coverage option when, when they drop him and, and do some interesting blitzing stuff. And he's going to be a, a capable pass rusher. I think he will get more sacks than Dante Fowler, but that's a very low bar to clear, but I think that he will get more sacks than Dante Fowler last year. Uh, Cause if he doesn't, we're going to see the pitchforks come out uh, for, for DMPs in the defense. But I do like the addition. It wasn't a high cost one. And I think honestly, he's a really good fit in this scheme, like better than Dante Fowler was. Um, even though I think they're sort of in terms of talent as a pass rusher, probably about the same. I think Carter's skill set fits this defense a little bit better in terms of what Dean Pease is going to ask him to do. 
Um, and you gotta love the savings in terms of the amount of cap they're dedicating to basically the same player. Um, so that's a positive. Uh, other than that, we had two rookies come in here, but I figured we'd go next to the other veteran, quote-unquote, on the roster, which would be uh, Ade Ogundiji, one-year veteran now. Um, who actually ended up starting a lot of games for the Falcons last year as sort of their run-stuffing specialist. Wasn't really an impactful pass rusher, but um, I thought was fine as a, as a run stuffer. And that's probably what they're going to ask him to do again this year. What do you think about Ogundiji's role going into his second season? Yeah, I thought his value as a run defender was solid. I thought uh, he actually did a decent job when he was asked to drop in the coverage as well with sort of how Dean Pease wants to, you know, use those uh, Sims and creepers and, and sort of disguise his, uh, his blitzes and his pressure concepts and all these various things. And I think, you know, having edge rushers that can drop into coverage like Carter, like Ogandiji, um, you know, makes sense in that style of defense. So, you know, I think Ogandiji is a role player when, you know, we were like five months ago when people were like hyping him up as a guy that was going to make this big year two jump and people were talking about him being potentially a starter. I kind of was just like, uh, I don't know about that. You know, like he's he's a solid rotational piece. I think he can give you value off the bench. And I, I do expect him to be better, but, you know, he was essentially the 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 least effective pass rusher, if you look at PFF grades. It was him and Stephen Means and Brandon Copeland were like three out of the bottom four <laughs> uh, at edge rusher last year. And so I'm just like, yeah, you know, I get it. He's young. He can get better. But, like, I'm not expecting, you know, him to suddenly go from – that guy that you know had like one what one sack and like maybe yeah. like 10 pressures to a guy that's going to what you want out of that secondary pass rusher which is the guy that gets you know sort of what we're talking about with production for Lorenzo Carter I don't I don't expect that type of leap for him so I think you know Ogundeji's a good piece good role player good depth piece for this Falcons defense uh and can do some of the things that uh, at least these rookies, as they sort of grow and learn and adapt to this defense, as we saw several rookies for the Falcons kind of struggle with that, including Ogundeji to a certain extent last year. Uh, he can sort of fill in the gaps and, and keep those seats warm uh, before those rookies are ready to go. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's Ogundeji is a it, you need one of him at least on your roster. Like you need your run-stuffing specialist guy out there. You need at least one of those guys because you're going to play some run-heavy teams. Even in today's NFL where passing is all the rage and you're seeing all this passing volume and all this, you're going to run into teams that are going to want to pound the rock. And you might get in a situation where you're behind and you need to to be able to stop the run to get back in the game. And having a run-stuffing specialist like Ogundiji available is really important. And I think that's sort of what he is. And I think he showed towards the end of last season that, look, this is a role that he can play. I expect him to to continue to grow in that role. What I don't expect is for him to ever sort of grow past like a three to five sack guy. Um, you know, I think if he gets three to five sacks for you, you're pretty happy. Uh, because, and he's got the athleticism for it. You know, he's not a bad athlete, but I think he's got the size, he's got the physicality. And I, I think he's going to always be more of a run specialist. Um, but that's still a valuable role. It's still a guy that, you know, him being on his rookie contract for three more years, that's, that's going to be a cheap contract for you for that role player. And I think if he's like your third or fourth quote unquote rotational edge rusher, that's going to be your run specialist. I think that's a good role for him. And, and I think he'll, he'll play well in that role, but if they're depending on him like last year to be like a primary pass rusher, because they just don't have anyone else, it's just not going to be his thing. And 
I think he'll get better as a pass rusher, but I don't think his ceiling is really past like a three to five sack guy. Um, so, you know, we'll see where, where he grows from here. Obviously he's got a lot more football to play, but I think, I think what I'm expecting is for him to continue to, to take on the run specialist role. And if we can get anything from him as a pass rusher, I'll be happy, but I'm not expecting big things there. Um, all right. That leads us to the two rookies, uh, that we added this year, one in the second round, one in the third round. So the biggest infusion of young edge rushing talent. And as long as I can remember in one off season, in terms of, draft capital uh Arnold Evacati was the second round pick and D'Angelo Malone was the third round pick figure we kicked things off with Evacati uh I was a big fan of him I was I really was high on him after scouting him he had a quiet senior bowl and I think some people cooled off on him but from what we read what I've heard is that some some NFL teams had him as like a fringe first rounder and the Falcons ended up taking him near the top of the second round so Right around where I thought he would end up going. Um, what did you think about Ebikati coming out, and what do you think his role will be for the Falcons this year? Yeah, Ebikati was a guy that I didn't really watch a ton of in the pre-draft process. Like I watched a little bit of him in the lead up to the Senior Bowl, and I was like, yeah, he's good, you know. But like, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you know, it didn't. Basically, once we got after the draft, I was like, okay, let me actually do a deep dive on him um, for obvious reasons. And I, I came away very impressed with him. Like when I when I look at the potential of this Falcons pass rush making significant growth, it's largely tied to Arnold Epichetti making, you know, coming in and being better than your typical rookie pass rusher. Um, you know, I really like his potential, like going back and looking at all these high round, you know, edge rushes that the Falcons have taken over the, you know, the last several years, you know, with Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley. Um, you know, I actually think Ebiketti is a better prospect overall than, you know, those guys, or at least has greater potential as a pass rusher um, than those guys do uh, in terms of his potential ceiling to be a double digit sack guy. Now, obviously, I'm not expecting him to do that, you know, year one, but I, I do think, you know, two, three years from now, he can potentially be that guy that can be that sort of book in, you know, edge rusher that can get you, you know, eight, 12 sacks. Uh, pretty consistently uh, year in and year out. So I'm a big fan of him. He's a very technical pass rusher. I think that's the main reason why I like him a little bit more than Beasley and Tack McKinley. He's a good athlete, you know, but he doesn't necessarily rely purely on his athleticism to win. And so I think that's a good recipe for his development in the future. So I'm looking forward to what he's going to do. Like when I, when I think about the positive signs that the Falcons are making and the strides they're making on defense, a lot of it's tied to Arnold Epichetti. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we're not having conversations about Arnold Epichetti in a couple of months, like we were having about Richie Grant and like, okay, what's going on with this? So, um, you know, a lot of my hope and optimism, what very little hope and optimism I have, <laughs> for the Falcons' future, uh, it, it, a lot of it is tied up in, in Arnold Ebiketti, and, and it's it, now I'm sitting here saying it out loud because I remember being very high on Richie Grant a year ago. So I guess I'm <laughs> thinking it at this point in time. But yeah, I I really do like his potential, and I, I think he has a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, I agree. I think the technical aspect of his game, being as far along in that area as he is, is going to give him a, a more immediate impact than a lot of rookie guys because a lot of these highly drafted rookies, they're just so talented. They're so athletic that they can just blow by a lot of college offensive tackles. It's just not a problem for them. And that, that forces that sort of 
stunts their growth in a lot of ways because if it doesn't teach you how to do it the right way it teaches you how to do it the easy way um and in the nfl everyone's big and athletic and like the, the best offensive tackle you ever faced in college so that's why a lot of these highly drafted pass rushers struggle because it's a big change but i think ebicady's pathway to where he was coming from temple going to penn state having his best season ever despite the jumping competition i think these are all sort of signs that Pretend a, a more effective rookie season for him than than a lot of rookie pass rushers. I don't think we should expect him to like approach double digit sacks or anything, but I think a six to eight sack rookie season would be a good year for him, and I, I think he can get there. And we've seen like he's not a guy that's going to be a stone wall as a run defender. Uh, that's not really his game. That's not really his thing. He's an effective edge setter to the, and he's like not going to be a huge negative there, but. What's where he excels is if he's on the backside of the play, he's really good at sort of uh, pursuit for an edge rusher. He is great at chasing guys down. He's good at knifing in and penetrating and, and getting tackles for loss. He had like 18 tackles for loss last year. So um, if they can deploy him well, I think there's a really good chance for him to have an impact as a run defender. It just might not be, you know, lined up directly on the tackle trying to set the edge against this guy it could if, if he's played on the backside of plays correctly I think he can have a real impact there um and that's where someone like Ogundiji comes in right because you could play Ogundiji on the play side on the strong side and have uh Ebikati using his skills uh to their maximum advantage as a pursuit guy um but I do really like the pick and I was glad that we we got an edge rusher early and then we got another edge rusher a few picks later with D'Angelo Malone, who I think is a little bit more of a wild card. Honestly, a very similar player in terms of like stature to Ebicady, but Malone is is a little bit more raw and honestly plays with more more physicality in that he's sort of has that he's definitely not a little man, but he kind of has that little man syndrome as a pass rusher in that he knows like offensive tackles are gonna be bigger than him and he just like he just rocks guys. He he hits them with the power. I think he understands leverage really well. Um, and I, he, he's a very good athlete too. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on Malone in his rookie season and how he fits into this depth chart. Yeah. Malone's another guy that like, you know, what, what little I watched of him, um, early in the process, I was just kind of like, yeah, he's a, he's like a 240 pound speed rusher. And like the Falcons have been down that road before with a 240 pound <laughs> speed rusher and it, it didn't necessarily work out great for them. So I kind of initially wrote him off. After the draft, I'm like, yeah, he'll be a role player. He'll he'll have a role here, but you know, he doesn't really have much of a future as like a long term starter. But once I I did a deeper dive on him, I, I came away much more impressed with him and much more intrigued by his potential. He, he's, you know, boom bust is not necessarily a uh, good way of describing him because like I don't think he'll be a bust in the sense of like you know expectations for a third round pick and if he only winds up being a three to five sack guy which is certainly possible then you know that's fine for for where the falcons picked him and you know they're looking for a guy that can come in and play special teams right away and 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 carve out a role in the rotation uh and, and sort of play with his hat on fire and and kind of do all the same things that we're talking about lorenzo carter doing from a schemes fit standpoint so it's not really bust in that sort of sense but i do think like you know, the range of outcomes for how good a pass rusher he can be is pretty wide for him uh, is, is what I kind of mean from that. And like he could be like the player I compared him to when I did my scouting report of him on Lockdown Falcons was uh, like, I don't think he'll be as good as his player, but kind of a version of like Yannick Ngakwe 
type of, of guy. Like he has that type of potential if he can develop. Now, the question, of course, is always going to be if he can develop. Um, but, you know, he, he's kind of, you know, in that same mold that we're talking about with guys like Tack McKinley and, and Vic Beasley, a guy that tends to rely heavily on his speed and his quickness and his, and his, his births and his athleticism. So he does need to refine his technique a lot more than, say, someone like Arnold Ebiketti. But if he does do that, um, I, I think he does have a, a bright future ahead of him as a pass rusher. And there's the potential that the Falcons could have two really solid bookend uh, edge rushers in him and Ebiketti moving forward. Yeah, and and I it's sort of like what we were saying with Ebiketti. Like Ebiketti had to sort of earn it and move his way up and go from a lower level of competition to a higher level of competition, whereas Malone just sort of consistently dominated Western Kentucky's level of competition. And it's going to be a big jump to the NFL from there. Uh, so I expect maybe a quieter rookie season from Malone. I think he's going to be an impact special teams guy, obviously. Um, and I think he'll have a role. But I think sort of like long-term, I think the idea is for Ebicady to be the number two edge guy, Malone to be the number three rotational pass rusher, maybe pass rushing specialist. We'll see how he develops against the run. But, you know, I think with those two, you're hoping for like two-thirds of your pass rushing depth chart to be filled out. They're still missing the edge one, you know, the, the guy. Um, you know, because I don't think either of us believe Ar- uh, Lorenzo Carter is that guy. Maybe it could be Will Anderson next year, you know, depending on where the Falcons finish or something like that. Uh, but they still need that guy somehow. I don't think I'm expecting Ebicady or Malone to be a, like a, you know, 10 plus sack a year guy. I think Ebicady has a chance to get near that. But, you know, I think he's probably best as a complimentary guy, not necessarily the guy. But we'll see. I mean, anything's possible. These guys are just rookies. And they certainly have the athletic upside to make it work. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how those guys do in their rookie season. Um, The other three guys, the UDFAs, the Futures Contracts guys, uh, Jordan Brailford, Quinton Bell, and I have Quoney Dang listed here as well. He's sort of like like a linebacker edge hybrid. Um, any thoughts on any of those guys? You can you do you see any of those guys making the roster or practice squad or anything like that? Yeah, it's possible. I, I look, I, I would say you're probably looking at one of those guys probably making the practice squad more than more than likely rather than a roster spot. But you, you never know. Maybe one of these guys could have like a a cap cappy like summer uh, and and actually make the team as opposed to you know I'm, I'm still devastated by the fact that cap cappy <laughs> didn't didn't make the cut. The out, yeah. yeah, but. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, Dang was interesting because I watched him two years ago when I was evaluating Jalen Hawkins at Cal. And I was like, I was intrigued by him as this sort of like Leonard Floyd-esque mm-hmm. type of player, this super long guy. He was playing more of an off-ball linebacker role then. And I guess in the last year or two, they've asked him to rush the quarterback a little bit more as an edge rusher. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't watch Cal these last couple of years so I don't know how he he fared in that but at least two years ago I was I was intrigued by the potential of him being kind of this Leonard Floyd you know obviously a poor man's version of that moving forward so he he's intriguing to me just based off of what I thought of him you know two years ago Jordan Brailford was another guy that I remember when he came out in the draft mm-hmm. when it was that like three years ago yeah whatever yeah. people were high on him he's got the sort of length that you're kind of looking for that he's deemed he's uh, and this, you know, regime seems to really covet uh, in terms of their front line player. So those are two of the guys that are at least intriguing to me. Quentin Bell, I know, you know, has stuck around on a practice squad a, a couple of places here in Atlanta and Tampa Bay in the past. So I'm I'm eager to see if these if any of these guys can sort of 
you know, pop in training camp, uh, given that we'll probably see a, a healthy amount of of them because we know Arthur Smith is a little iffy with uh, playing certain <laughs> players in, in preseason. So um, I'm just, you know, looking forward to seeing if some of these back in ro- rotational guys are, are sort of intriguing and have some upside. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree with you too. Like right now, I think they're going to keep four edge guys. If they add another veteran, like some fans have, have hoped, I think somebody said it in the chat, they're hoping for another veteran addition. It's possible. Um, so if they add another veteran guy, they could keep five. Um, but right now, I only see them really keeping four. But I think there's definitely room on the practice squad for at least one of these guys. Um, and I, yeah, right now I lean slightly towards like Brailford, but we haven't seen these guys in person. So it's really hard to like make any determinations about these sort of end of roster sort of guys. I mean, I think Quentin Bell has had some, you know, minor flashes in Brailford too. Um, and I, again, with Dang, it's like, you know, he's a UDFA. He, he's had some flashes. Um, I think a couple of years ago, like you were saying, I think people were really hyped about him possibly being a, a day two pick or something like that. He hasn't really grown from there. I think he had an injury and then his production hasn't really been outstanding. But again, someone's certainly worth taking a look at. So that's where they are at edge. We'll see if they make any additional moves there as we get into camp. It's, it's possible. Edge is one of the lighter position groups on the roster. So we could see another move there. Um, before we get to defensive tackle interior defensive line however you want to phrase it so I remind folks to please like and subscribe if you haven't done so already really appreciate the help there uh leave a comment after the show also those help appease the algo gods you know all hail um and uh yeah uh, we're running our training camp fundraiser right now so if you'd like to donate to the training camp fund the link i believe is streamlabs.com slash the falcoholic i put it in the chat as well it's also in the show description uh i will read your donation you know, whatever you say, as long as it's not too inflammatory, because I do draw the line somewhere. I'm not saying test it, but, you know, within reason, I will read, you know, your questions or comments or whatever you want. I know we've had some good questions in here. Um, and I want to shout out Davon, Davon Wilson for his limitless optimism about the Falcons. He's he's giving everyone hope. And, you know, Davon, do you, man. If you want to be optimistic, go for it. We're not trying to rain on your parade or anything. We're just trying to speak our truth, you know, what we think. But, hey, if you believe they're going to make the playoffs, man, go for it. Uh, I hope that they do, obviously. And, you know, then you can lord it all over us, and we'll be very happy to be wrong. So uh, shout out to you guys. Shout out to everyone else for joining us tonight in the depths of the offseason as well because it is some – it is some dark times in terms of the content mill. Uh, there's not really anything. So, you know, thank you guys. Uh, oh, just in time. Thanks, Mad. This, that was perfectly timed donation, Mad, because we were just about to start the next section. So, Mad, Tom K with the $5. Thank you so much, man. He says, what do you guys think about the potential of adding Justin Houston? And this one's interesting because I can't remember. I think it's the Ravens he was on before. And they used that rarely used tender on him that I think is like if he doesn't get an offer by a certain date it becomes a certain contract but to to sign him you have to offer him more than the offer and I think it was like four million or something like that so it's a significant contract um but yeah I mean I like the idea but I think they could use a veteran like that I think he makes sense here if the price is right but again what I think is the minimum contract is going to be like over four million I don't know if they're really interested in spending that much but I like the idea of it. Do you have any thoughts on Justin Houston potentially coming over, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, earlier this offseason, I was all about signing some veterans so that you could, you know, have him help tutor some of the young guys that, you know, we all assumed that the Falcons would wind up adding. So I'm not against the idea, although, like, I, I feel like if the Falcons are going to go out there 
and, and get a veteran player. They probably could use a little bit more help elsewhere on their defense at this point in time, particularly on the interior <laughs> line. More so <laughs> Way to get than to that, yeah. <laughs> to the edge rusher. So like I'm like, if you you know, if you're gonna go out there and, and drop four or five million on on some veteran player to come in, like I, I think you'd be better utilizing that money elsewhere. And, and obviously we could talk about where they could use it on the offensive line as well. So it, it's one of those things where like I'm not opposed to the idea of bringing a veteran because again back in March I was like all about that idea. But, you know, at this point in time, I feel like if you're going to spend your money, you know, you choose choose wisely, I guess, is, is what I would say. So uh, it's not something I'm like jumping for joy at. You know, if you rewound the clock three months, I, I probably would have. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to the idea. But I, I do feel like there are probably some bigger fish to fry. Yeah, I think the uh, the bigger need is on the interior. And we're going to get to that right now. Um because I uh, once again we're in a situation where the Falcons literally have not brought in any assistance for poor Grady Jarrett, who obviously we're going to start this thing off with. There's not really much more to say about Grady Jarrett other than he's he's an amazing man uh, who just continually keeps signing with the Falcons, uh, despite the fact that they've done almost nothing to help him on the interior. Once again, um, I was writing an article about Jarrett today. Uh, well, it came out today. The uh, my player profile on him, but. Thomas Dimitrov made 16 defensive line picks, edge and defensive tackle, over his tenure in Atlanta. And I would consider six of them to be hits, or five of them to be hits, actually, uh, which is a 31% hit rate. And that's pathetic. And Grady Jarrett, you know, he deserves better. But, you know, bless that man because he's like, he loves being a Falcon that much, and I'm sure he, the money doesn't hurt either, uh, that, you know, he's, he's going to stick it out. Um, so I think he really gives this team a foundation to build upon the interior still needs a ton of work, but at least with Grady Jarrett, you have something to start with. Uh, and you know, we'll see how he adjusts in another year of the scheme. You know, I think, I, I think the, the sort of, Oh, he's struggling in the new defense takes are kind of a little overblown. I think it was more to do with the fact that teams were just really keying on him. Cause the Falcons didn't have anything else there. They were playing an undersized nose tackle for a good portion of the season. And you know, it, I just think that uh, I wouldn't, put too much stock into his like down year last year. I think that was sort of the exception um, for him, but uh, we don't need to spend a ton of time on Jarrett. Cause I think everyone knows he's awesome, but yeah, anything you wanted to, to add about Jarrett and do you, do you think fans should be worried about his sort of lower production last year? Oh, you might be muted, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. I was, there we uh, go. Yeah. Saying, my usual response to this question is like, if you can't make J- Grady Jarrett good, there's something wrong with your scheme than necessarily right, right. wrong with Grady Jarrett. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to see if he has a bounce back year. I, I think if, if you're hoping for a big jump in production from the Falcons pass rush this year, going to, you know, 18 sacks and possibly even, you know, God forbid doubling that number and, and getting to decency in terms of their sack production something that's like respectable 35 plus sacks. Um, you, you know, you're counting on Grady Jarrett to kind of, you know, be the one sort of driving the bus there along with, you know, the Epic Kitties and the Lorenzo Carters as well. And hopefully you know, another veteran addition uh, on the interior D line. But um, yeah, I'm not too worried about Grady Jarrett. Um, you know, I, I think the scheme doesn't help because he's used to playing in a scheme that just kind of wants him to pin his ears back and get upfield. And, you know, DMP's scheme is more, you know, hold the point of attack, read and, and you know, and, and key the run and, hold your gap 
type of stuff. And that's not really a strength of Grady Jarrett. So I'm hoping that, you know, DMPs will sort of, you know, ask him to do less of that. And, you know, it would be easier to do that if you could just basically utilize him primarily more as a passing down specialist. But that would require you to have guys that you trust, you know, in the, you know, early downs on rundowns on first and second down. Uh, and I don't know if the Falcons quite have that yet. So, again, that's why I still cross my fingers uh, that, that there's another major addition on this D-line coming, you know, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think fans' hopes were kind of crushed when Akeem Hicks went elsewhere. Uh, and I think that was probably not going to happen. I don't think the Falcons were really going to invest that much in the position because, again, like, I don't think they're they're really thinking that like Akeem Hicks is going to take them to the playoffs or something. Obviously, it would have been nice to have, but there's still some guys out there that I think are, are interesting. I you know I know you were tweeting today a little bit about Deron Payne. It seems like Washington's not going to trade him, but that's a move that I would you know support. Maybe maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's next offseason. Um, you know, Ogan Joby ended up signing. That was a guy I was sort of secretly hoping maybe they could sneak him in here as well. Um, but. You know, I think that uh, that I agree with you. Like, Pease's defense doesn't typically make great use of, of players like Grady Jarrett. Like you said, it's more of a gap control scheme. But look, we've seen 3-4 defenses really succeed with a great penetrator like a Chris Jones in Kansas City. Um, and I think you can look at that defense as sort of a blueprint for how to use Grady Jarrett uh, effectively. And, you know, they just, Kansas City just sort of lets... Chris Jones cook, you know, they just sort of let him loose. And I think that's what you do with Grady Jarrett. And maybe that means Grady Jarrett doesn't play on a ton of base downs. But I think if you're, if you're saving Grady Jarrett for the passing game and deploying him selectively against, against certain fronts and things like that, I think that's fine. You know, I don't think you have to necessarily force him out there for 80 plus percent of the snaps every week. If it's not effective, if he's going to be more effective as a pass rushing specialist and gets you six, seven, eight sacks and a lot of and a lot of disruption, I think that's fine. Like, you don't have to force him onto the field more to make it work. Um, so I, I think he's going to be just fine. I think they're going to find a good role for him. And I think the fact that they did give him that big extension shows that, look, he knows he's going to be played more effectively, and they know, I think, a better plan to use him going forward. At least that's the hope. You know, I think, what, what do they call it on football, guys? Uh, assumption of rational coaching. So that's what I'm going with. Um, <laughs> but moving on to more open-ended stuff, there's a lot of guys here that I think are going to make the roster. The, the five that I have, you know, we'll start with the, the easy ones. Anthony Rush is someone who I have as a roster lock. I don't know if that's something you agree with, but I think that Rush sort of earned it. I mean, he Tyler Davison was a nose tackle to start the season. I think we all kind of knew that he wasn't a great fit as like a 3-4 one tech. He's more of a 4-3 one tech. And I think he played the 4-3 tech pretty well, uh, like as a solid guy, but he, he got overwhelmed as a, as a 3 three, four, uh, nose tackle. He's just not built for that kind of role. Anthony rush comes in mid season. I think he stabilized it. I think he was solid. I think we saw some flashes. Obviously he's not like Dexter Lawrence or some elite nose tackle, but again, you're paying him almost nothing. And he's still a relatively young player. Um, I think if, if rush has a good year this year as a starter, he could be the team's long-term nose tackle. And that's what you want is to get that player without spending a lot of cap and or capital, to get it done. But what do you think about rush? And uh, do you think he's a roster lock or is he going to potentially have to fight it out? Well, I, I think under normal circumstances, I would look at everybody outside of probably Grady Jared and Taquan Graham as not locks. <laughs> uh, but because like what other better options do the Falcons have? Like, you know, if, if the Falcons had their normal sort of 
you know, eight or so guys coming into camp that could all compete and fight for a roster spot. And then you could make the case for winning a roster spot. Like I would sit there and say, yeah, Rush is not a lock or whatever. He may be a strong bet or whatever the case may be. But as I said, like, you know, if you're putting five or six guys on this line, like how do you not put Anthony Rush as like pretty much a lock there unless the Falcons go crazy at some point in the next two months and just go out there and sign a whole bunch of D linemen. So I I think it's safe to say that Rush, uh, you know, will make the roster uh, at this point, barring injury. Um, You know, I I was very impressed with Rush when he came in, especially in that uh, first Saints game and and really helped shut down the Saints run game. Um, You know, as things wore on, I I don't think the Falcons run defense was as stout, uh, even though I I think Rush did still flash a couple of times. So I kind of see him more as like a a backup, but, you know, uh, long term in in that terms, I I don't know if he is going to give you the sort of consistency that you're looking for and a true blue starter at, at that nose tackle position. Um, but, you know, what other better options do the Falcons have right now? Unless they're going to go out there and sign Eddie Goldman or, or Brandon right. Williams in the next month or two. Like, yeah, you know, Anthony Rush is one of these guys that I feel probably a little bit better about among the current group of guys. Yeah, and I, I think Eddie Goldman is one that there is a chance to happen if they're not satisfied with what they're getting from Rush. But I sort of think that the fact that they haven't made that move already shows that they at least want to see how Rush looks in camp mm-hmm. and um, maybe the preseason before they go out of their way to, to make a move. Um, because I, I think I think he earned a chance at it. Like, his play, yeah. I think, was strong enough to give him a shot. Um, and I think I think I like the flashes. Like, I, I thought there were some legitimate games where this is like, oh, this guy could be an actual, like, solid starter at nose tackle. We don't have to go out and spend a draft pick or, or spend money on it. Um, and we'll see if that holds up. Uh, I, I, I'm hopeful for him because this is a big year for him. You know, he's bounced around the league a ton, got cut by the Titans, comes into Atlanta, finally gets a chance to play a decent number of games. And I, I think he earned a chance. So I'm, I'm hopeful for him, for his NFL career, that uh, he can make it work here because I think it works a lot. It works well for both sides if he can become that sort of solid nose tackle starter that the Falcons really need. <laughs> they need it bad. They need it real bad for this defense to work. So it's kind of, nose tackle is that weird position in the 3-4 where it's like, it's vital to have one that's like solid. But, like, how much does the needle move for, like, a premium one? You know, we've seen that's, – that was the question, I think, with Jordan Davis, right? It's, like, how big of a deal is it to get this, like, elite nose tackle? Like, how much does the difference between, like, a good one and an elite one change your defense? Um, and, you know, we'll see. If, if I think if Anthony Rush can be solid, that will help the defense just be fine. But if, if Anthony Rush is good, that's great. But it's, like, you know, then it's, like, are you will, do you really need to go out and upgrade Anthony Rush if he becomes a solid starter? But – uh, that that's a question I think for for uh, future. So we'll we'll keep keep things moving here. Um, other guys that I sort of see as I guess I would say favorites to make the roster. You mentioned Taquan Graham. I think he's an obvious choice. He was a, a fifth round pick last year. Uh, I think Flash towards the end of the season. I, they actually I think he was like one of the earliest rookies not named Kyle Pitts to get on the field because I think he played actually a little bit early in the season. Then they sort of took him off, got him got him worked up a little bit more and then he came back and I think he played like 40% or more of the snaps in like the last five or six games of the year. So um, what do you think about Taquan Graham uh, and, and uh, his role going into to this season? Yeah. You know, I, I kind of envision him as a, a, a quality rotational player, right. You know, similar to what we got out of say Derek Shelby or, or Jack Crawford in the past. 
Uh, and that's kind of what I see Graham sort of developing into long term. But I think right now you're, you're probably looking at him as potentially a front runner to be a starter and, and after Grady Jarrett to potentially get the majority of the snaps uh, among this D-line group, which, again, which, you know, I'm not going to belabor this point over and over again, but mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why, like, I still feel like you need to get a, another starting caliber player because I, I feel like, you know, two of those three D-line spots, you're, you're essentially starting backup players in Graham and, and Rush, but good backups is, is the point I, I want to make uh, potentially. So I'm, I'm eager to see what growth Graham shows. Again, it's, it's all flashes, didn't put it all together, but you're hoping – for a, a significant year two jump for him and and maybe he can sort of you know change that perspective and and be more than just a, a quality backup and, and can be you know a, a capable starter moving forward yeah i kind of view him a little bit like ogandiji i do think graham has more upside as a pass rusher he actually was t- tested out as a really elite athlete and his length is phenomenal i think he has like 35 inch arms almost 11 inch hands I mean, this man has like huge Huge hands, um, huge arms for an interior defensive lineman. So, and he tested, I think he was like a 9.5 RAS or something like that. So this is a guy that has the upside as a pass rusher, didn't really do it in college, didn't really do it last year. As a run defender, he was consistently disruptive, and I think that's sort of what we're hoping for early in his career. Um, so if he can be sort of another piece of, of the puzzle, give the Falcons a, a very good run-stuffing 3-4 defensive end sort of role, um, playing alongside Rush and Ogandiji, you know, it's starting to maybe come together here that they have a, a decent run stuffing unit. I think the pass rushing is still very much a work in progress with him. We'll have to see it. He'll have to develop in that area, but I do like the potential there. And I think, look, I mean, as much as he played last year, I think he's already on the way to being a pretty good fifth round pick. Same thing with Ogandiji, you know, you're, these guys are, are playing for you, making meaningful contributions and Maybe part of that is the fact the Falcons roster is very bad. But, hey, you know, they're playing. They're, they're making some kind of contribution. So we're going to take the pauses where we can there. Um, let's see. The other guy, the bit, and this guy is, I think, actually interesting in terms of is he actually as safe as a lot of people think? And that's Marlon Davidson, former second-round pick, the last second-round pick of the Dimitrov tenure. Uh, Dimitrov's tenure. Um, I honestly thought that Marlon Davidson would actually be a better fit in a 3-4 because I think he is sort of a traditional fit as a 3-4 defensive end. I think he he has that sort of tweener size that can be good for that role. But um, just injuries and being on COVID twice, like he got COVID uh, in his rookie season, then he got it again last year, missed a lot of time, hasn't really produced when he's gotten a chance. I think the talent is obviously still there. But this is sort of a make-or-break season for Marlon Davidson. What do you think about him going into this year and do you think he's safe do you think he has to prove something in camp to keep his roster spot where are you sort of landing on on marlon davidson yeah i mean again going back to a point i made previously like normal circumstances i'd be like yeah he's not uh, of these guys that we're talking about so far he's probably on the least sure footing uh uh, of these interior d linemen but uh, unless the falcons you know sign somebody or one of these undrafted free agents winds up being a lot better uh, than we thought. I, I do think he's reasonably safe at this point in time. And, you know, Davidson's interesting because at Auburn, he was a good pass rusher, but not a great run defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the NFL, he's been basically non-existent as a pass rusher, but a pretty solid run defender, not great. Um, again, he's not necessarily a guy that's the biggest guy that's going to stand up and, and be stout 
at the point of attack, you know, as we talked about earlier with Grady Jarrett in this scheme, but I thought has done a decent job and, and is a solid sort of rotational piece in that. And you're just kind of hoping that one of these days, those flashes uh, of pass rush ability that we saw and, and we thought could be, you know, a really good complimentary player next to Grady Jarrett two years ago when we drafted in round two, you hoping that starts to manifest at some point, but basically we're, we're kind of at a point if, if we don't see it necessarily this summer, then I don't think we're ex- we're going to, you know, expect it at any point in time. And so he's just going to kind of settle in as sort of a rotational piece. And, you know, that's disappointing giving the expectations uh, on him as a second round pick, but you know, that's still a guy that can contribute in similar ways that we're talking about with guys like Graham and rush. I don't, I don't think he's, you know, less of a player than than either one of those two guys but just because of the context of him being a higher draft pick I think makes the perception of his play uh, a little bit lower yeah exactly I mean I would say that he was pretty much on par with take on Graham last year but because Graham's a fifth rounder and Marlon Davidson's a second rounder everyone's like oh you know this guy needs to be better this guy needs to be performing at a second round level and he just hasn't quite done that um I'm still hopeful for his NFL future. I think as a second round pick, we know the talents there again, he looked like a better pass rusher in college. So I think that the potential for him to, to get there is, is still very much on the table. It's still very much an option, but this is sort of a make or break season for Marlon Davidson, because again, this regime did not draft him. They're not necessarily as loyal to him as they would have been if they had drafted him. Um, now the biggest thing he probably has going is the fact that, and we're going to get to this imminently, you know, there are, there isn't necessarily a ton of serious competition for him on the roster that you're like, oh, he has to show out or he's going to lose his roster spot to these guys. But, um, you know, the Falcons have brought in a lot of sort of fringe guys. Um, and there's always a chance that one of these fringe guys is finally gets it together or in the case of a UDFA just isn't impressive. Um, and then he could be in jeopardy, but I think it's, I think he's still a favorite for the roster clearly, but, um, we shouldn't count out, you know, the health has been an issue too. So if he gets hurt again, that could be the end for him. And I would hate that for him. And I know we all would. So fingers crossed that he stays healthy and, and finally gets to, to get on the field and, uh, show us those flashes that he, he consistently did in college and, and, and earns his, his future with this team. Because again, obviously we want these guys to succeed. The talent is obviously there. So uh, pulling for him and, and hoping that he finally gets it together here uh, and finally has a healthy season because that's been that's just the great equalizer is injuries, and he's been hit with those more than, than a lot of guys. Um, all right, after Marlon Davidson, it's sort of a free-for-all. To me, the next guy is Vincent Taylor, who hasn't, I guess, played at all uh, yet as he's recovering from his season-ending injury from last year. But Taylor is a guy that I watched a little bit of just because I was interested um, you know, reportedly he was in line to be a starter for the Texans last year, which it's the Texans. So, you know, pump the brakes a little bit, but, um, that is, that's not something to shake a stick at. He's a guy that I think has shown some good flashes here and there when he's gotten a chance to play. I think Taylor is, is a, another favorite for the roster of these other guys. I don't know if, how much experience you have with Taylor or what your thoughts on him making it are, but, um, yeah. What, what do you, what do you think about Taylor? Yeah, Taylor was a guy that really popped in limited opportunities in Miami a couple of years ago. And I, I know Dolphins fans and Dolphins beat writers were very excited about his potential. And then uh, I want to say when Brian Flores came in, they sort of made him a surprise cut uh, at the beginning of the, that 2019 season uh, when they were taken for Tua. 
And uh, people were a little shocked by that because of the flashes he had shown prior to that. Uh, and they basically were like, well, he doesn't really fit the scheme. And I, I guess they were looking for maybe a little bit more size uh, than he was necessarily providing. Um, and, you know, he kind of bounced around the league and then seemed to settle in last year with the, the Texans and then obviously suffered that injury in week one. Uh, and so, like, he's one of those guys that when you look at this group, uh, we're talking about a, a bunch of young guys that really don't have a lot of potential. And, and Taylor is kind of the veteran of this group, even though he kind of still fits that. Um, or did I say a lot? Of, they don't have a. They do have yeah, potential. Yeah. That's what I meant. Sorry. Um, and but Taylor kind of fits that same sort of paradigm as kind of an inexperienced guy that uh, you know flash potential, but hasn't quite put it all together for a full season to show that he's a starter. But he's the kind of the most experienced. He's the grown up in the room besides Grady Jarrett, uh, just because he's been around the league a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see if he can sort of deliver here in Atlanta. Where you know a couple of years ago, where people were you know particularly those those Dolphins fans were they were thinking he had a bright future ahead of him. So we'll we'll see if he can you know you know play that out this year. Yeah, I agree, and I think the fact that they did sign him despite the fact that he wasn't going to be able to participate in the offseason program shows that they like him, that they think that he does have potential. That they don't you know he's not like such a fringe guy that they were going to sign him expecting to see him perform in minicamp and then make a decision on his future. They were like, no, no, we're going to sign you with the full expectation that you're going to be ready to go for training camp and we'll see you then. I think that is, that does carry some weight. So um, in terms of like the veteran guys, I do think he has an excellent shot to make it, you know, we'll just see how quickly he gets healthy and, and how, how much he flashes in training camp preseason and so on. But like we said, not a lot of established guys in front of him. So it wouldn't be that hard for him to push for a starting job uh, if he has an impressive uh, training camp preseason here. Um, then there's sort of a big giant log jam of like five guys. Uh, whereas edge doesn't have a lot of people defensive interior defensive line has a lot of guys, has a lot of names. Um, Nick Thurman, I think is a veteran. I don't, I don't know too much about him. I know he's a bigger guy. Um, we also have, uh, the undrafted free agents. We have Timmy Horn, who is a nose tackle that the only other nose tackle on the roster, notably, uh, then we have Bryce Rogers and Derek Tangelo, who I think are both sort of penetration-style 3-4 defensive end types. And then we have Jalen Dalton, who was just signed after a tryout, uh, who I think it may, may be the most interesting of all of these guys. Former Saint. Saints fans were upset when the Saints let him go because apparently he's flashed in the preseason a bunch, but always ends up getting hurt or just never playing. Um, so he could be interesting. Any thoughts on, on these sort of end-of-roster guys? Any guys you think are favorites? for practice squad or maybe a sneaky roster spot. Yeah. I mean, Dalton's interesting. Uh, I haven't really got a chance to really watch him, but you know, there, there's some intriguing potential there with his size, his length his his athleticism. Uh, Nick Thurman, you know, got a little bit of playing time last year. I think one, one of those games late when COVID was like ravaging the Falcons or, or whatever the case may be. And he was okay. Again, you know, the, the standards for, you know, a, okay play for the Falcons defense are probably a little different than they are, you know, in other places. Uh, but I, 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 you know, he, he's kind of stuck around on the practice squad, uh, you know, the entire year. So that, that means that the team does like something in him. You know, I, I did watch a little bit of these undrafted guys. Tangelo was, you know, a, a solid sort of player on Penn State. He's not necessarily a big time playmaker, but kind of is in that Taquan Graham mold of a, okay. of a player that can can potentially be a, a a decent disruptor, but strong enough to also hold the point of attack. Timmy Horn was interesting because he seemed more like a a penetrating nose tackle, 
than a, a guy that's just going to sort of eat space in the middle of your defense. Um, you know, and Bryce Rogers, you know, I thought did some things, but maybe didn't necessarily pop as much as the other two guys. So uh, again, similar, I'm, I'm intrigued to see if any of these guys sort of, you know, flash. Cause you know, the, the, as I said, this D line group is not necessarily a, a group where you sit here and say, Oh yeah, those guys are definitely going to stick on the roster and we're going to develop these guys. And, you know, we could be looking at a situation where next year, like it's the only people that are still on this roster are basically Graham and, and probably Jarrett. Uh, and everybody else, we could see complete turnover. So I'm intrigued to see if somebody else sort of pops this summer um, to to kind of turn the tables on that, and maybe we get another guy where it's like, oh, you know, maybe we're the guy, we're the team and the fans that are complaining about if a guy gets cut because of like, oh, that guy flashed a lot of potential. We're letting you know decent talent walk out the door. Yeah, that would be a nice surprise, certainly, to have a lot of these sort of fringe guys all look good in the preseason. It's like, oh, we actually have a choice on our hands instead of like, oh, this one guy looked good and everybody else was trash, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> it certainly makes watching and commentating on the preseason games more fun. Yes. So I'm always going to pull that's for that what, you one. Know, that's what we're all about, Kevin. It's just, oh, you know, that's all it, we care about. It's know, the content. At 9 o'clock in the third quarter on a Friday night at, uh, when we're watching the Jaguars and the Falcons <laughs> play, and it's 17 to three or whatever just give yep. us something to watch anything really i would take a, a single tackle for loss would be enough to fill at least five minutes of time so i that's i'm not asking for much guys um but yeah i think i agree with with most of what you said i mean i think nick thurman as sort of like an existing experienced nfl player certainly has an edge if they're looking for that sort of run stuffing presence there i think jalen dalton is the most interesting to me um because again, the size, like six six, huge arms, uh, just a really prototypical three four defensive end type of guy in my eyes. Um, so I like him. I think he actually has a chance. Uh, you know, he got cut by the Saints, and then the Falcons brought him in for a tryout almost immediately. He was the one that ended up getting signed. So I like it a lot. Um, I, I I think you know between Tangelo and Timmy Horn, one of those guys may get a practice squad spot. They're very different players. You know, Tangelo is more of a penetrating Taquan Graham sort of three, four defensive end guy. Whereas Horn is very much a nose tackle, but like you said, more of a penetrating style, not quite as girthy as uh, Anthony Rush's, you know, six, four, three fifty. where I think Horn is, uh, you know, a little more svelte at six, four two, you know, three thirty or something. So not, not exactly the same player, but I think it's interesting. Um, but I, I do think these guys are interesting, but again, like if they added a veteran, like an Eddie Goldman, he would clearly be the winner <laughs> of these guys that would displace everyone else. So, um, I think we're still holding out hope that that sort of move comes down just to solidify this group a little bit more, but, uh, we'll have to see how it goes. Um, all right. That brings us to one final group to get through here. It's another smaller group at linebacker. Uh, before we get to it again, guys, uh, remind you, and first of all, thank you for, for tuning in in, de- in the depths of the dead zone. Uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job with the content here. You know, I think this is a good discussion, but you know, I really appreciate you guys tuning in anyway. Um, like and subscribe, all that stuff. If you're interested in supporting the training camp fund, the link to that's in the show description. It's, uh, streamlabs.com slash the falcoholic. We appreciate everyone for helping us there. You can check out the Patreon and that reminds me to give a shout out to our newest patron, who is Caesar? Uh, so shout out to Caesar. Thank you so much, man. We appreciate your support. If you're interested in signing up there, getting involved in some Q and A's in our fantasy leagues for our patrons coming up soon, the link to that is Patreon.com/slash/FalcoholicLive. Thanks to all of our patrons for your support. We appreciate you guys. 
Um, and we did just have another donation come in. You guys have timed these up perfectly, so we don't have to break the flow. Uh, Brandon with the $1. Thank you so much, Brandon. He said, thoughts on if Frank Darby will make the roster or get cut this year? Honestly, Brandon, I think he's getting cut. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he made it, but they're probably keeping five receivers, and the, it's really crowded now. It's, it's crazy how this roster has gone from absolutely barren of all talent to like, oh yeah, there's like three guys, four guys competing for wide receiver five. Um, but it's happened, and and... I'm basing it off of the fact that I we didn't really see Frank Darby do anything last year, despite the fact that the Falcons' receiving core was very bad. Um, he didn't do much in preseason either, so this is kind of a make-or-break offseason for him. The fact that they brought in so many other receivers and didn't really trust him to take one of those jobs, I think, is also sort of the writing on the wall there. But again, it's possible that he really impresses and makes it. I think making the roster it will be very tough for him. I think he could still stick around in the practice squad. Um, that wouldn't shock me. But I guess, uh, yeah, that's sort of where I am. What do you think about Darby, Aaron? Are you sort of also doubting his chances at the roster, or do you think he's going to make it? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about that one of the times I was on earlier yeah, with yeah. the wide receiver and sort of all the various competitions, and these two guys are competing for this spot, and these two guys are competing for this spot. It's not like they'll just keep the best six receivers it's like oh you're all fighting over for a specific role and i think with darby it's clearly he's going to have to make his impact on special teams right yeah. like you know he's he's not going to be one of the the five or six best receivers without you know massive improvement uh in his game um over the last you know six months or so um so i, I feel like because of that like his biggest competition is Kadero hodge and so like given you know that like technically as like a 50 50 shot i guess you could say uh of making you know one of those you know wide receiver five wide receiver six spots for that reason so i wouldn't sit here and count him out completely based no, off of that no. but i i would probably say like if i was handicapping it i would probably say there's probably like hodge's chances of beating him out are greater than 50 percent. maybe it's like 60 70 percent. so uh, you know doesn't mean that uh frank darby is dead in the water or anything like that uh, and certainly i think even if he doesn't make the roster he's a pretty safe bet to be on the practice squad uh at this point in time so he should stick around uh even if he's not necessarily on the 53-man roster yeah i agree and like i, th I think with them keeping just five receivers on the roster which if they keep felipe franks that's kind of how it has to be um I think they're probably going to keep a lot of receivers in the practice squad, like two or three, like they did last year. Um, so there could be room for Frank Darby easily, along with a Kaderil Hodge or Auden Tate, whoever of the guys doesn't make it. Um, and then, you know, there could be room for UDFA there as well. We talked about that on the wide receiver uh, roster review. If you guys want to go back, I think two or three episodes, you can see us talk break that down. But it's a very tough competition, and it's really not meant as a slight against Darby, really. It's just, like, he's got to beat out a lot of established veterans. Like, he's probably competing with Demir Bird for, like, a serious role as a receiver. And I just—Demir Bird's not, like, a world beater, but this is a guy that has been an NFL receiver, has done it. And look, Demir Bird ran a 4-2-something. And Darby did not. So if you're if you're competing for that deep threat role, which is what Darby did in college, it's going to be a tough hill for him to climb to do that and beat out a guy that has elite speed and has done it in the NFL. It's just going to be a tough hill for him to climb. Not that he can't, but, you know, it'll be tough for him. So 
Obviously, we hope he succeeds, but this happens to six-round picks sometimes. You know, not every guy is going to stick. Not every guy is going to make it. Hopefully, if he doesn't make it here, he can catch on elsewhere. So, um, we'll see how that goes. But linebacker, linebacker's a little bit simpler after we get past the guy on top, which is Deion Jones, which still sort of wondering if he's going to be on the roster week one. Uh, I don't think he looked like a great fit in the scheme. I don't think he looked like he really wanted to be involved in the scheme last year. I think he graded out as like a 30-something, according to PFF, which is like Jalen Mayfield-esque. Uh, so at this point, you know, with his offseason surgery and everything like that, do you see Jones sticking on the roster, Aaron, or do you think he'll be moved one way or the other before the season starts? Yeah, it's to me what I've been told, right? And that's the feeling I get. But other people that cover the team have been basically telling me that at some point the Falcons will move on from Deion Jones. It's a question yeah. of when. one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopefully via trade. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like the way it's been told to me, it's like, they'll wait to see if a trade develops. If it doesn't, they'll cut them. Um, and we'll see, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have no idea how that's going to play out. I've been skeptical from the jump, yeah. you know, since we've been speculating about trading Deion Jones for months now that a trade would develop because as again, I've been told by people that they've quietly been shopping Deion Jones since March of last year. So <laughs> the fact that we're now what, you know, 16 months into it and the trade hasn't happened yet probably means that one won't happen in the next month or two, but you never know teams do tend to be a little bit more proactive with trades at the end of training camp. And certainly in the lead up, uh, to the trade deadline. I don't think the Falcons really want to carry Deion Jones for that long until the, you know, the end of October. Yeah. So I, I do think they'll make a, a probably a, a more, a bigger decision before then. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I am not going to include Deion Jones in any of my 53 man roster projections until, you know, we get something from the team that says, Oh no, Deion Jones is definitely part of our plans. Yeah. I just have, I, he just doesn't seem to fit them at all. It doesn't seem like he wants to be here, to be honest. Um, and I I just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm putting him on my projections just because, look, he's on the roster. I got to write him down. But mentally, I don't really have him on there. So, like, you know, it's like, oh, he's on there. But, like, editors know, you know, Nick you know Nick Kwiatkowski's making the roster because Deion is probably not going to be here, you know, that sort of thing. Like, I think the Nick Kwiatkowski signing, when that came in, that was sort of the clue that, like, he's not going to be here. He's not going to make this roster. Uh, he's not He's not going to play for the Falcons because I don't know why you go out and bother to get a guy like Kwiatkowski who's, look, a capable NFL starter. Not necessarily a plus starter or anything like that, but, like, I don't know why you'd go sign that guy and why that guy would agree to come here if he wasn't going to make the roster. Um, you know, so it, it, we'll see. And I, I think, you know, obviously Kwiatkowski's going to probably make it one way or the other, but um, I sort of, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you there. I... I, I I hope a trade materializes. There's always, you know, you never want to hope for injuries for any team, but there is a very likely scenario where some team will develop a linebacker need at some point in training camp. Now, will they be desperate enough to trade for Deion Jones? That probably depends on the team because some teams are going to love Deion Jones fit and others are not. You know, we've seen it here with, with DMPs coming in. He just doesn't fit this defense. He's a specific kind of linebacker, but coverage linebackers are valuable. A lot of teams need them. We've heard the Jets may have some interest. We've heard, obviously, the Cowboys may have some interest. You know, Seattle, he would seem to be a fit there. They lost Bobby Wagner. You know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I, I tend to agree with you that he's probably not going to play for the Falcons in 2022. Um, 
That brings us to the next guys. I think there's a, a cluster here of guys that are pretty much roster locks. And we'll start with Rayshon Evans, who came over from the Titans this year. Um, who, to be fair to him, had his best years under Dean Pease. Uh, after Dean Pease left, didn't have as good uh, of, of a season these last couple of years with Tennessee. Um, I think he's a 3-4 inside linebacker. He needs to play that role. He needs to be sheltered from coverage responsibilities. But as a thumper, as a guy that's going to be physical and a guy that can blitz a little, I think he's a good fit there. And I, like, I, I think he's going to be a starter for this team. Might come off the field on obvious passing downs. But uh, what do you think about Rayshon Evans coming to Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Dean Pease. I mean, I'm sorry, Deion Jones not necessarily fitting in, into Dean Pease's defense. We know Rashawn Evans does. Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, basically the polar opposite of Deion Jones. If you're, you know, one of those people that complains about Deion Jones's run fits um, the last mm-hmm. couple of years, you're not going to be complaining nearly as much with Rashawn Evans. Uh, if you loved Deion Jones's coverage ability, you you probably will wind up complaining a little bit more about Rashawn Evans's coverage ability. So, um, you know, I think he's a, a solid veteran to have in this room. Um, probably one of the safer bets to to be a starter due to his experience and, and being quote unquote the grown up in the room uh, there. Um, but you know, we'll see some competition uh, from him. But yeah, I think he's a pretty safe bet, uh, a roster lock, as it were, uh, to make the roster. It's just a, going to be a question of how the Falcons decide to use him. Do they decide to use him? more as you know a part-time player um or uh in in sort of sub him out in in passing situations or is the plan dean pease is going to want to use you know to hide his coverage abilities by asking him to be a a much bigger blitzer uh which is something that he did you know effectively in his tennessee days under dean pease yeah and that's the thing about the four uh, the three four is that you can you can pretty much hide one of your inside backers in coverage. You can't hide both of them you can usually get away with hiding one of them and they could easily do that with Evans um especially if they're gonna deploy him as a blitzer more often so I'm interested to see how that goes but I think he's pretty he's a roster lock for sure um another guy we should talk about is a a holdover from the Dan Quinn regime didn't play I think as much as some fans were expecting last year but has earned some accolades in the offseason. That's Michael Walker. Um, Kind of an enigma. I know some people thought he might play sort of a a hybrid edge linebacker role, maybe a strong side linebacker role. Has mostly played off ball consistently. Um, It seems like that's where they want him. What do you think about Michael Walker? Do you think he will finally seize a starting role this season? I'm not expecting it, but like, you know, everything you hear is like, he's definitely in the mix, you know? Uh, So, you know, I won't, I won't doubt him. Like, I, if I, you're asking me my prediction, I think Nick Kwiatkowski will start next to Rashawn Evans come week one. But I do think Michael Walker has as good a chance as he he possibly is going to have here in Atlanta to to unseat that and, and win that job. Uh, you know, they liked his coverage ability; that was his primary role last year. They would play a lot of three three five nickel and have all three linebackers and Deion Jones, Michael Walker, and Foye Aluakun on the field last year. That pick six that. Um, Walker had last year was on one such of those plays. Um, and uh, yeah, man, like I, I think he brings a lot of coverage ability. The main knocks on Michael Walker is his tackling was suspect. He, he missed a lot of tackles yeah. uh, in the open field. And that's something that, you know, obviously should be able to improve. You just got to be a little bit more technical and, and, you know, play in the moment and all those various things. So I, I do feel like if he can clean that up, he can be a solid starter for the Falcons. So if he does win the competition, I'm not too worried about 
uh, his performance. I think he can be a solid starter. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, a superstar or anything like that, but certainly a guy that can, you know, hold the, the fort down for the Falcons at linebacker until they, you know, turn the page, you know, a couple of years down the road until someone like a Troy Anderson's ready or they wind up drafting somebody else in a couple of years. But I think Walker can be a solid starter for them. Yeah, and it, with Walker, it's it's sort of a tale of two seasons, right? Because last year, uh, he had he played more, or excuse me, two years ago in 2020, he played more snaps. He played almost 400 snaps in 2020, only missed two tackles, which was a 4.3% missed tackle rate, which is really good. Then last year, plays about 200 snaps, uh, misses five tackles, which is a 12.5% missed tackle rate, which is not good. So the tackling year to year wasn't all wasn't necessarily a problem it was a problem last year his rookie year not so much so I guess the hope is that that bad luck sort of turns around he continues to work on that and get more consistent in that case you know I think combined with his coverage ability um he only allowed a 77.6 passer rating in coverage last year which is good um no touchdowns allowed or anything like that so I think that the hope is that the tackling maybe reverts back to the mean a little bit and the coverage is still good. And maybe you can deploy his blitzing and edge rushing ability a little bit more, make him a little bit more of a well-rounded player. So I'm hopeful for him. I think he's, he's got a chance certainly. Um, but he does have to fend off quality competition in the form of Nick Kwiatkowski, who was a late addition to the roster, uh, an experienced veteran. I think honestly, really underrated player. Uh, this is a guy who played really well for the bears in his final year there, then went to the Raiders. I think he dealt with some injuries uh, didn't necessarily play a ton, but I think pretty much the last several years of his career has been a average at worst linebacker starter, really good fit in a three, four. And you mentioned as well that you expect him to start. So tell me your thoughts on uh Kwiatkowski. Yeah, I think Kwiatkowski's um, just kind of solid. That's what he's been throughout his career. Cause you know, I, I remember him in that 2016 draft in that same draft that Deion Jones came out of because he, he kind of fit the sort of athletic, he tested really well in that combine and we knew that the Dan Quinn regime really prioritized athleticism. So in the event, you know, that was the Darren Lee, Deion Jones, uh, I think was it Reggie Ragland in that draft class as well. That was that was one draft, of the guys yeah. that people were talking about, you know, the Falcons taking in the early rounds, but Kwiatkowski was one of those guys that if, you know, they wound up passing on a linebacker in the first two rounds, they could probably get him in like the third or fourth round. So he was definitely a guy that was on my radar and I, I paid attention to him in Chicago uh, and, you know, seemingly every time he got on the field, he was productive. Same thing with the Raiders. I know last year wasn't a great year for him, but he was kind of the leader in that in that room uh, at least two years ago uh, before all this, you know, nonsense that happened with the Raiders last year. So I wouldn't hold that too much against him in that regard. So I, I just think the thing about Kwiatkowski, like, you know, Rashawn Evans, great run defender, questionable pass coverage guy. You know, Michael Walker right now is kind of, the balanced guy. You got Troy Anderson, who's more of a coverage guy than a run defender at this point. We know that's the case with Deion Jones. Like Kwiatkowski, like Walker, is kind of balanced in that regard. You know, solid run defender, solid in coverage. Not going to be special or anything like that, but I, I think a steady veteran that seems to be productive every time he gets on the field. So that's kind of the reason why I expect him uh, to win the starting job. I just think Dean Pease loves those guys that, you know, are those glue guys those yeah. detail-oriented guys, the guys that will do their job. And I think Kwiatkowski has consistently been that throughout his career. Yeah, I agree. I I think he's sort of underrated. I really like the addition because your depth linebackers are going to play, whether it's special teams or rotational stuff. Like, these guys are going to play. Like, you're going to have linebacker injuries. It happens every – these guys make so many tackles, have so many collisions. It's like a play-by-play thing. You're going to have to play your depth guys. And I think having a really good 
depth guy at worst in Kwiatkowski, who's just a solid starter. Like, having that guy, and he's not costing the team a lot of money. It just makes so much sense to go get this guy if he's available. At worst, he's going to be a very good reserve. Um, and I think he could also just be a solid starter for them, too, if they need it. Depending on how quickly, you know, Troy Anderson comes along, who we're going to talk about in just a second. Um, but I like the signing a lot. I do like Kwiatkowski. I would not be shocked at all if Deion Jones does get traded and he actually does start opposite Rayshon Evans. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think we're in agreement there. Uh, and then we're getting to Troy Anderson, the team's second-round pick. Very, very raw linebacker prospect, but another perfect 10. RAS guy, uh, just an incredible athlete, played three positions in college. Everybody knows I love Troy Anderson. Uh, I just don't know when he's going to play. But again, you know, there, if Deion Jones is gone and Rayshon Evans is getting rotated out for pass coverage duties, there there is a scenario per- perhaps where Troy Anderson is playing a sub-package role as a coverage linebacker at some point this season. But do you do you foresee anything more than just a primary special teams role for, for Troy Anderson early on this year? Well, I, I didn't until, you know, Mike Rothstein was writing in his notes that, like, Troy Anderson was one of the, the rookies that was getting a lot of those sort of work with the yeah. veteran guys. Um, and that kind of made me reassess, like, okay, maybe – because I, I was like you where it's like, I think Troy Anderson has a lot of potential, but I think his floor is kind of low coming into the right. league and, you know – given what we saw last year with Dean Pease's aversion to, to playing rookies, you know, before their time. Um, you know, I was like, yeah, Troy is definitely not playing <laughs> as a rookie. Cause he's just, he's green and he's raw. He's got a lot of talent, but like, he's not NFL ready at this point in time. But then you kind of hear the, the early buzz on the, during mini camp, like, okay, maybe he's, his floor is a little bit higher than I initially assessed it. So, uh, you know, I still don't expect him to be a starter. I still, um don't expect that from him but like i do think like there's a higher probability that he does find a role on this team and in going back to what we talked about with michael walker when he played you know sort of primarily a coverage role in those nickel situations i think that's a perfect way to get troy anderson involved because i think when you look at just you know from an athletic standpoint and a coverage instinct standpoint he's probably the most natural coverage linebacker on this team outside of Deion Jones. And obviously we're talking about the potential that Deion Jones is not going to be on this team for that much longer. So I think Troy Anderson is certainly a guy that's intriguing in that regard, but at a minimum, he'll play special teams. You know, as you said, they'll probably try to rotate him in at some point uh, during the season, get him some live reps during the course of the season. As you said, injuries do happen. We did see the team be willing to rotate uh, Walker and into the lineup at various points last year. So we know that Anderson is more the future. And so I think the Falcons would like to see him and what he could do this year, but I don't feel like there's going to be a, a huge rush to get him on the field and, and have him start week one. Uh, but we'll see what sort of develops over the course of the season. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I think it really depends on him. Like if he continues this sort of really strong training camp, you know, this really strong off season goes into training camp, looks good then shows out in training camp, like, I mean, or it shows out in the preseason, like it, it, there's no limit to necessarily what he can do. I mean, they took mm-hmm. him in the second round. This is a guy they clearly really like. And honestly, like I, I, there's a part of me that's like, this guy is going to show up and, and play earlier than people expect because it's exactly what he did at Montana state. They were like, Hey, we need you to play running back. Okay. I play running back. Actually, we need you to play quarterback. Okay. He played quarterback was all conference quarterback. Hey, actually, can you change the linebacker? Okay. All conference linebacker. So like, this is a guy that's made a living off of changing and adapting really quickly. So that leads me to believe this is a really smart player, a guy that's very adaptable, that's very that has just a good football mind in general. Um, and like you say, if you watch his tape, 
like the, the finer points of playing linebacker are not there. Like the, the breaking down, the angles for the tackling, all this stuff is very much a work in progress. The instincts, you know, they're not necessarily there yet, but his experience as a quarterback really makes him pretty comfortable in, in sort of reading the quarterback's eyes and dropping into zone. Obviously, he's a phenomenal man coverage talent because of his basically unparalleled athleticism. Um, and when you're that athletic, you can afford to make some mistakes because you're just a better athlete than everybody else on the field. So um, we'll see how quickly that translates, but I, I think that he has a bright future and I'm excited to see how quickly he gets on the field for the Falcons. But if he's not playing, guys, by midseason, don't freak out. That's very, well within the normal range of outcomes for someone like him. This guy's coming from Montana State, playing linebacker for like a year and a half. So just Yeah, like, Troy Anderson's yeah. one of those guys he could wind up playing every snap on defense this year, or he could play zero snaps on defense. Yes. And both would be fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it, you're right. It's he, He'll he be as good as he is capable of being. Yes, uh, and I wouldn't freak out, like more so than Richie Grant even. Like if he doesn't play, I would not be concerned. Now, if he doesn't play his second season, then we're, we're getting starting to sweat a little bit. But um, I would be shocked if he's not playing by the end of the season. But, you know, particularly early on, give him some grace, give him some time. Uh, I think we'll see an impact player in the future. At least we all hope we do. Um, now, just a couple more guys to talk about uh, in terms of the, the undrafted slash futures guys. Uh, Dorian Etheridge, holdover from last year. Uh, one of the, a.k.a. the MVP of the preseason, Dorian Etheridge. <laughs> Um, that man just like stacked W's in the preseason. Uh, and then we have Rashad Smith, who I didn't do a ton of work on, but, uh, he's, he's bounced around the league a little bit after being an undrafted free agent. And then very interesting undrafted free agent, Nate Landman, who's already been making some waves in the off season. So anyone there you want to touch on Aaron? Yeah. I mean, Landman's the guy that, you know, a lot of people have sort of pointed at as like the, the UDFA that has the best chance of making the roster. And um, <laughs> I think that's fairly accurate. Like, you know, yeah. we're, we're talking about, you know, potentially keeping five edge rushers or, you know, five linebackers, particularly if you count Deion Jones as one of those five, but we could see a scenario where they keep five off ball linebackers, inside linebackers and Nate Landman's, you know, the, the fifth guy after uh, Kwiatkowski, Evans, Walker, and, and Troy Anderson. Um, and, and that's really just a special teams role. That's what Dorian Etheridge uh, did when he was on the roster. You know, it seemed like they he was one of those guys that was back and forth on the practice squad throughout the season. Um, and that's a guy that comes in and plays special teams. And, uh, you know, I think Landman has that ability. Uh, obviously, we saw Etheridge do a decent job in that role, but probably didn't do enough to, to make you say, like, oh, yeah, he'll definitely – you know, hold on to that spot. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a, a couple of these guys that you could want to stash on the, on the, on the practice squad um, because, you know, Kwiatkowski's on a one-year contract, Evans on a one-year contract, you know, Walker's going into year three of his rookie contract. Yep. So it's not like he's, you know, guaranteed to be a long-term piece there. So if you can find one of these guys, whether it's Landman or Etheridge or, or Smith, that, you know, again, not expecting that those guys are going to be starters for you, but if they can sort of assume the role of that sort of death piece that, you know, we're imagining guys like Kwiatkowski and Walker, uh, you know, potentially having this year as that third guy or that fourth guy, uh, you know, they're a good practice squad stash. So I, I think certainly we'll see one or two of these guys on the practice squad, but I certainly think one of, one of these guys, if they can have a really strong summer, can potentially make a run at, at the, the roster spot. Yeah, I mean, I think Etheridge, he, you know, he was the best player in the preseason last year, and he he ended up bouncing a little bit between the roster and the practice squad. But um, 
I mean, certainly acquitted himself well in special teams, and I think that's sort of sort of the type of player he is. He's a guy that's going to be a reserve defensive player, but a, a guy that can definitely play special teams for you. I think the hope is that Nate Landman offers a little bit more on defense, um, but can also play teams. You know, Landman's thing was he had that injury in college that sort of sapped him, but before that, he was on a tear to potentially be like a day two sort of linebacker. So if he can continue to rehab that injury and, and, and get healthier, you know, he has the potential to be a future starter if he can get back that athleticism. You know, as it stands now, he's somewhat of an average athlete overall. Um, but linebacker is a lot about instincts. You know, I think, honestly, athleticism at linebacker is one of the positions that's kind of a little bit overrated, the athleticism, where it's so much about instincts and doing, doing what you're supposed to do. And I think Nate Landman has that ability in spades. So, you know, if Deion Jones is no longer on the roster, I think Landman is the one that I would say is the favorite for that fifth spot. But Dorian Etheridge, I think, certainly is deserving of a practice squad spot at worst. Um, you know, and I don't mean to slander my man Rashad Smith. I just don't know too much about him. I haven't seen him practice yet. So maybe he's going to impress too. And we just have this log jam of great linebackers. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think this group is one that I, I feel pretty good about. Not that necessarily it's going to be this elite group this year. I think maybe in the future, if Trey Anderson reaches his potential, this could be one of the strengths of the defense. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a solid to good unit. Um, they just have, they have a lot of depth, a lot of players that I think I would be happy to, to play on a, on a weekly basis, more so than like interior defensive line in particular. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this group. I think it's solid and, uh, it, it should help. I think it's a better run stuffing group, at least than last year, which I know a lot of fans were concerned about because the run defense was, was really bad. So, um, I think it's a better fit for DMP's defense and I'm, I'm excited to see how these guys fare in 2022, but Aaron, you have dedicated uh, almost 90 minutes of your off-season time to this show tonight, so we're going to wrap it up. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, guys, before we wrap up, as always, like and subscribe. Be sure to leave a comment after the show uh, to appease the Algo gods. All hail. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you're interested in contributing to the fundraiser, you can do that anytime. Streamlabs.com slash thefalcoholic or sign up for the Patreon to get access to that sweet, sweet patron content and the fantasy leagues to patreon.com slash falcoholic live before we head out I want to thank my distinguished and illustrious guest this evening aaron freeman at falc fans for his help with this intense roster breakdown aaron is the host of the locked on falcons podcast aaron anything else that you'd like to plug before we sign off yeah, if you go to Locked on Falcons on YouTube right now, you can check out my offensive line breakdown. You heard me on Falcoholic Live talk about some of the stuff then. But basically, uh, right now, like I'm basically, you know, if you wa- li- watch or listen to the, the first 20 minutes of that episode and you don't come away feeling slightly better about the offensive line, then, you know, I, I will have failed you. So that was a promise <laughs> I made at the beginning of that episode. So, uh, you know, the offensive line is not going to be good, but it should be better. Uh, so go check that out uh, to see sort of ways that the Falcons could wind up shaking up their offensive line. And potentially we could have three new starters there in week one. So go check that out. Um, and, you know, of course, you can check out the other positional reviews that I've done on the offensive side of the ball uh, over the past week. Uh, next week on Locked on Falcons, you'll be able to hear Alan Sterk of the Falcoholic uh, join me to do some fun all-time draft series where we kind of do a fantasy-style draft back and forth picking the best Falcons of history to build our best offense, build our best defense, 
And of course, you, the listeners and, and viewers can vote on who you think sort of won that competition. So that will be up all throughout next week. So go check that out as well. I'm locked on Falcons. And, you know, if you want to follow me on Twitter at Falcfans and find snarky tweets about the Falcons every now and then, probably won't be tweeting that much this weekend because, you know, holidays and being a normal human being and stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, check me out on Twitter at Falcfans. Yes, I, I particularly enjoyed Mike Rothstein. Just like we were just like riffing, and he was just like, "Oh, what did you not like about my?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, Mike, oh, buddy, you don't, you don't understand." He doesn't understand. <laughs> He's not ready. He, he wasn't ready. <laughs> that was a good one. I appreciated that. But uh, you did give him a serious response, so you know I'm proud of you. But uh, that was that was funny. That made that made my day the other day. Um, but guys, I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin. Uh, you can check out my stuff on the Falcoholic where you can find tremendous written Falcons content all day, every day. I will have just an absurd number of player profiles coming out because that's literally the only thing that we can write about. But I have I have a monopoly on the player profile, so I at least have steady content through the offseason. Um, Doing great the work thing, there, Kevin. That's the one thing I claim. You know, yeah, you guys got to get those. You can't get enough of these player profiles, I know. Player profiles and mock drafts. That's, that's your quarter. Oh, yeah, that's my wheelhouse, big time. Um <laughs> But yeah, guys, uh, appreciate Aaron for coming on tonight and appreciate all you guys for tuning in. We will see you next week where we will break down the secondary. And, you know, if there's any news, that would be cool, too. I would appreciate that. But, you know, well, this time you kind of don't want news to well, happen, right? That's yeah, usually it'd bad probably be bad. It would probably yeah. be bad. Yeah, so. I would say that this probably, I, oh, I, I think the Falcons are in the clear with bad news, but you're never in the clear. Yeah. So let's just not, let's not poke the bear. You know, let's not poke the bear. We'll Calvin just, really know. might, might do something else. Yeah, he, there <laughs> might have been more sports gambling. Who knows? Uh, he bet, he bet on the odds for Deshaun Watson to come to Atlanta. And then there, yeah. that's just, yeah. <laughs> We're just going to gloss over that one. But uh, yeah, guys, appreciate you for tuning in. We'll see you next week on the Falcoholic Live back again on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. So until next time, guys, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you then. Have a great night, folks.